Hey there, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that has walked through a dream and on to the gate of purgatory. We arrive at that gate in this passage. We're going to see our pilgrims set down right in front of purgatory proper, where the souls are purged or <laughs> purged themselves of their sins. Oh, that's a debate ahead of us. Just you wait. We're at lines 43 through 63 of Purgatorio Canto 9. If you remember, Dante has had an enormously provocative dream about an eagle and Ganymede and Achilles. <laughs> Philomel and Procne, good Lord, Canto 9 is complicated. This passage is not quite as complicated. This is the explanation, or how shall we say, the reality of the dream our pilgrim has just had. This is my English translation of the Medieval Florentine. You can find it on my website, markscarbo.com or walkingwithdante.com. Go right out there, read along, and more importantly, drop a comment, because we got some things to talk about, and some of them are a little controversial. And you might want to push back or continue the conversation in some way. Without anything else to say at the moment, let's just get to the passage. No one else was beside me except my comforter. The sun was already up more than two hours high, and my gaze was turned toward the sea. Don't be afraid, said my liege lord. Be steadfast. For all's going well with us. Don't bridle yourself, but give reins to all the strength you've got. At last, you've now gotten to purgatory. Check out the rock face there that encircles it, and note the entrance where it seems to gap open. A little while ago, in the early light, just before the dawn's day, that is, when your spirit was lying asleep in you, and you were lying on the flowers that adorn that place down there, a lady came and said, I am Lucy. Permit me to gather up this guy who sleeps so that I can quickly get him on his way. Sordelo and the other noble souls stayed put. She picked you up, and once it had become light, she went on up the mountain. I then came along in her steps. She set you down right here, but first her gorgeous eyes showed me the entrance that's standing open. Then, at the same moment, both she and sleep withdrew from you. Not so difficult to understand as the previous two passages we had on this podcast. We want to talk about how Dante got here. We want to talk about Virgil's role in all of this. We want to talk about Lucy because actually it's more complicated than you might think. We want to talk about why, in fact, Virgil is given such a big role here. And then we want to talk about classical imagery and the move away from it in comedy. Let's start at the second three lines, the second tercet of this passage at lines 46, 47, and 48. Virgil says, don't be afraid, be steadfast for all's going well with us. Don't bridle yourself, but give reins to all the strength you've got. The first thing that we should note is that Virgil is here called liege lord. Virgil's role is not diminished. They still are in a feudal relationship with each other. But we should also note that Virgil seems to be spraying Dante 
<laughs> with aphorisms. Don't be afraid. Be steadfast. Don't bridle yourself. Get rain. Solid strength. I mean, good gosh. This is like the Hallmark card from Virgil. Dante needs encouragement. We've been told he was afraid in the last passage. But I think it's important to see this also as this is the best Virgil can do. Virgil cannot say anything about the gate of purgatory. He cannot say anything about what it means because he is a damned soul. And so his advice here is very much within the four cardinal or classical virtues, or shall we say within the world of classical learning. It's what Virgil can do. Don't be afraid. Be steadfast. Don't bridle yourself. This is that kind of strong, stern, classical learning that got Virgil as far as he got, but didn't get him to purgatory itself. And the story of purgatory is given to Virgil here, or the story of its approach, but not its meaning. And that seems to me important to the passage. Virgil goes on, at last you've now gotten to purgatory. (laughs) Huzzah, we should say, at Canto 9 in the middle of it. We've finally gotten here. At last you've now gotten to purgatory. Check out the rock face that now encircles it and note the entrance where it seems to gap open. I'd like to call your attention to how this Canto 9 in Purgatorio references Canto 9 in Inferno. There in Canto 9, we have Dante and Virgil before the walls of Dis. Here, we have them before the walls of Purgatory. We have various demonic furies and potentially Medusa herself coming out on the walls. Here, the walls seem more forbidding in some way. They're forbidding back there in Inferno, but they seem pretty forbidding here. And we'll have ahead of us an angelic presence rather than Medusa. We should also notice that a messenger arrives in both Inferno 9 and here in Purgatorio 9. Lucy shows up. There, that heavenly messenger waving the stink of the swamp of sticks away from his face. So we've got two different rescuers who come from on high to aid Virgil and Dante on their way. And you'll notice in both cases, Virgil can't get the job done on his own. So we have a very, what do I want to say, a very intense parallel being drawn between this Canto 9 of Purgatorio and Canto 9 of Inferno. Both cantos are uh, way stations, intermediary stops. They're both the worlds between things, between sticks and the circle of the heretics, or here, between anti-purgatory and the first rung of purgatory itself. You know purgatory is going to be in rungs. Come on. You've been through Inferno. <laughs> You know that this thing's got to be in circles. I'm not giving anything away, am I? In both cases, we are in an intermediary space between worlds. And that space involves messengers. It involves Virgil's, I don't want to say ineptitude. That's too big a word. But Virgil's inability to forward the journey without divine aid. It involves walls. It involves blocks. We'll see there's blocking figures ahead of us here. Not so much figures like the demons in Inferno. But blocking thematics (laughs) ahead of us, allegorically blocking thematics ahead of us in this passage. They're very parallel, these two cantos from Inferno and Purgatorio. 
So now who shows up is Lucy, and this is the story Virgil tells. A little while ago, in the early light just before the dawn's day, that is when your spirit was asleep in you and you were lying on the flowers that adorn that place down there, and you should just know I'm going to stop and say that's a tough line, and I made an interpretive decision there. It all has to do with the placement of the comma. It's whether Dante the Pilgrim is sleeping on the flowers down there or whether Lucy arrives on the flowers down there. And it depends on how you place the comma, which we don't have any of Dante's handwritten manuscripts, so we can't actually say. I'm actually going against Petrocchio's reference here. I'm I'm changing his comma in this passage for my translation because I think it makes more sense for Dante to be on the flowers than Lucy. I'm not sure why I did it exactly the way I did it, but somehow I thought it was a further elaboration of Dante. The most important thing for me here is Li Fiori, the flowers. We're told that this was a very beautiful place, this dale of the rulers who love the world too much and neglected their heavenly duties. I'd like to take a break to let you know how you can support the podcast Walking with Dante. You can give it a rating or even write a review on most of the podcast platforms. Doing so helps this podcast stay present in the streaming services. If you'd like to do more, please consider donating to this work. I've chosen not to seek sponsors, have in fact turned down some sponsors, but paying for a hosting site, securing the streaming feed, buying the rights to the music and the sound effects, keeping the web domains, it all costs to help. There's a PayPal link. You can find it in the podcast player. You can find it on my website, markscarbro.com, and you can find it in the podcast notes for each episode. Consider it a tip for your Dante-obsessed street busker. Now back to this episode. As I say, this is Lucy, and she introduces herself, I am Lucy. And believe it or not, this is more complicated than you might think. Which Lucy? (laughs) There are several saints who are called Lucy or Lucia. Which is she? Most commentators, in fact, I would say 100%, including me, take this to be Lucia of Syracuse. I can say this is most likely the same Lucy from Inferno Canto 2 who comes and says to Beatrice, hey, your boy down there is in trouble. You better go down there and help him. Remember that bit in Inferno 2? And I can say that this is the same Lucy who makes a similar appearance (laughs) in Paradiso. She occurs in each of the canticles. But again, which Lucy? I assume this is St. Lucy of Syracuse. I assume that because she's found in the book of the Acts of the Martyrs. And if that's the truth, then she died in 304 Common Era. What basically happened is that she was the daughter of a rather wealthy family. Her father died and yet left them in some distress. The mother was unclear how to take care of them. And Lucy decided that she was going to take her dowry and devote it to the poor and to good works rather than to marrying a rich man who might stabilize the family. The mother's not very much in favor of this kind of, but not really. Apparently in the original story, this nobleman then reveals that Lucy is a Christian. This is during the Diocletian persecutions, and Lucy is then put to death. Uh, There's various ways this story is told. She can't get dragged out of her prison cell, and at first the fire that they light under her won't light, and there's all these ways that 
she's being saved and then finally the fire does light and of course she becomes a martyr a lot of commentators make out here that Lucy has something to do with the eyes and I just want to tell you that that's a little problematic actually it may not be her eyes because the idea that Lucy is associated with eyesight and sight and eyes and all that stuff doesn't actually come into her saint's legend until the 15th century, if not thereafter. We do know that Dante suffered from eye trouble. We do know that because of a passage in Convivio, book three, chapter nine, line 15. We do see here that Lucy has gorgeous eyes, but it's really after Dante that the notion comes along that either the rich man she was engaged to gouged out her eyes as punishment or that she gouged out her own eyes in order to make her less attractive to him. And then when they come to bury her, her eyes have been restored. That probably wasn't available to Dante in his day. Most likely, he's associating her eyes with her name, Lucia Light. And that further elaboration of the saint's legend may, in fact, be missing to Lucy. But you should just know that every Dante scholar puts her eyes here in the passage as, oh, part of her martyrdom. And I just want to tell you that historically, culturally, if you just step back from the scholarship and you don't accept what everybody has said, it may be anachronistic to say that her eyes are part of her martyrdom from Dante's perspective. It may be much more that she is connected up with light. And if Dante had eye trouble, he would be very interested in light. And thus, we see Lucy light saving him. I also should tell you that a lot of Dantistas get very worked up over what kind of light she is. Prevenient grace, sufficient grace. I'm going to stay away from all of that and say she represents grace. She gets him up the mountain. I don't know what kind of grace it is, and I don't know that Dante is thinking what kind of grace it is. Instead, what I know is that a saint comes and pulls him up the mountain Sordello and the other noble souls stayed put. She picked you up, Virgil says. And once it had become light, she went on up the mountain. So apparently, even a saint like Lucy has to follow the rules of Mount Purgatory. Remember, you can't move at night. You can't go up. Well, you can move, but you can't go up at night. Apparently, you can descend, but you can't keep going up as long as the sun isn't up. So she has to wait for the coming of the dawn. And now we know that it's two hours after the dawn because of line 44 in this passage. So this climb took her two hours. This was a monumental climb. I mean, she's a saint. Come on. She could do this in, I don't know, in a minute, right? So this has got to be quite some arduous journey that they're on. But that arduous journey, even as it is in the text and even as it is implied in the text, is in fact overwhelmed by another line. It's right there toward the end. So the Sordello and the other noble souls stayed put. She picked you up. Once it had become light, she went on up the mountain. And it's this line. I then came along in her steps. That has got to be the most shocking line of the passage. The damned Virgil follows the Saint Lucy. You might think, oh, of course, Virgil. Isn't he always there? Virgil's always along for the ride. Whoa, wait a minute. We're about to get Virgil in front of the gate 
of purgatory itself. You can't see that as anything but utterly surprising. Why is this story given to Virgil? Why doesn't Lucy pick up Dante in the flesh and Dante sees her? Why is it all told as this wild classical imagery with Ganymede in the dream? And then we find out it's not a dream so much as it's an imagistic representation of what really happened. Well, I can only posit ideas to the question, why Virgil? Ahead, Virgil will claim the climb is super hard for anyone in the flesh. Maybe that's it. Dante's still in the flesh. Virgil's not. Lucy's not. So they can make this extremely arduous ascent really quickly. We're going to find out just how far they've climbed on down the line. And it's a long way. They've climbed enough to get above Earth's weather systems. Is it that Lucy has to show Virgil the gate? Is that the point here that Virgil cannot find this gate on his own in Dante's thematics? And so Lucy has to be the one to get them to the gate. Is it important to marginalize Virgil, the classical world, in the face of the Christian world. In other words, it's not the classical world that gets you to the gate of purgatory. It's the Christian world, the Christian saint, who gets you to the gate of purgatory. Is that what's going on here? If that's the rationale, then why not just drop Virgil altogether? Why not say, adios, fella, you got at least up through the eight cantos of anti-purgatory and, you know, good luck. On your way back. I mean, that would seem to be a normal progression that Virgil can't get to this gate. And in fact, he's given the story here to tell, to interpret the dream. Yes, kind of. But also to say what really happened. It's not so much an interpretation as a recitation of the parts that the dream was an imagistic representation of. Just think that through for a minute. The poetry of the classical imagery covered the alleged reality of the ascent in Lucy's arms. What we have to say is born in the first three lines of this passage, lines 43, 44, and 45. No one else was beside me except my comforter. Remember, Dante's been very afraid. The sun was already up, more than two hours high. See how long it took? And my gaze was turned toward the sea. This is the move toward comedy. The classical imagery that we had in our last episode and passage leads us to sadness, to loss in various ways. And there's a tinge of sorrow throughout all of the opening 42 lines of Canto 9. But comedy reinterprets the classical imagery. And this is what I think is so amazing. Dante has taken that rather sad classical imagery with its tragic undertones. He has here reinterpreted in the light of a hopeful ending, comedy. So comedy is overwhelming the classical imagery. But, and this is the part that you really have to keep in your head, the classical imagery is not going away. It provides the foundational texture. While we have the great comedy of Lucy coming from on high, saving our pilgrim and carrying him way up to the very gate of purgatory, showing him potentially the gate that Virgil could not show him, while we have that hopeful good ending 
underneath it all lies this classical imagery that is sad, that is ambivalent, that is difficult, Ganymede, Achilles. We have all of this sitting down underneath us. And a lot of scholars say, oh, well, there's a reinterpretation of classical imagery into a Christian comedy. Maybe. But the classical imagery is not discounted. It is set underneath the Christian comedy, and so it provides a foundation for it. It provides the subject matter of the dream, which is also important. It may not be the reality. Comedy may be the reality for Dante's universe. That is, the move toward resolution, the move toward redemption, the move toward a good ending. And yet, underneath it, there is always this pull back to the sadness, to the way that things don't work out. How could it be any other way from a poet in exile? How could it be any other way for the way Dante is actually having to live his life? He is letting the texture of his life influence the texture of his poem. And it's not that Christian imagery rewrites classical imagery. It's that classical imagery underrides or becomes the foundation for Christian comedic imagery and the hopeful salvation in Lucy's arms. Let's read this passage one more time. Purgatorio, Canto 9, lines 43 through 63. No one else was beside me except my comforter. The sun was already up, more than two hours high, and my gaze was turned toward the sea. Don't be afraid, said my liege lord. Be steadfast, for all's going well with us. Don't bridle yourself, but give reins to all the strength you've got. At last, you've now gotten to purgatory. Check out the rock face there that encircles it, and note the entrance where it seems to gap open. A little while ago, in the early light just before day's dawn, that is, when your spirit was asleep in you and you were lying on the flowers that adorn that place down there, a lady came and said, I am Lucy. Permit me to gather up this guy who sleeps so that I can quickly get him on his way. Sordelo and the other noble souls stayed put. She picked you up, and once it had become light, she went on up the mountain. I then came along in her footsteps. She set you down right here, but first her gorgeous eyes showed me the entrance that's standing open. Then, at the same moment, both she and sleep withdrew from you. beautiful imagery, beautiful reinterpretation of the weird and strangely classical dream that Dante has. A really nice interplay in these two passages that lead us right up to this unbelievable moment at the gate of purgatory itself. To get there, you got to subscribe to this podcast. Come back. We got we to gotta get to this gate, right? We got to get up to it. We got to see what it is and we got to get through it. Oh, it's all right ahead of us, as you well know from our read through Canto 9. If you want to get there, as I say, subscribe to this podcast. And if you don't mind rating it and giving it a review, even enjoying the walk, that is just fantastic. Thanks for that. Otherwise, I'm Mark Scarborough, and I will see you at the Gate of Purgatory in the next episode of Walking with Dante. Walking with Dante.